You're listening to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast, created by the Arthritis Foundation to help people with arthritis and the people who love them live their best lives. If you're dealing with chronic pain, this podcast is for you. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn how you can take control. Our host is Rebecca Gillette, an arthritis patient and occupational therapist who is joined by others to help you live your yes. Thanks for joining me on the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about dating with arthritis. It's apparently a very hot topic that triggers eye rolls and a slew of other emotions and responses. While it's not for the faint at heart, the heart is the very reason why we put ourselves out there and through the dating gauntlet. But before we get into the topic, I do want to share with all of you listeners that this is my last episode as the host of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. It has been an honor and a privilege to be in this community with all of you. And it's been the thing that's given me the most joy in my time here on staff at the Arthritis Foundation. Your comments, your feedback, your emails to us about how much the podcast has changed your life or given you a little bit of hope means everything to me. And so at the end of the episode, join us in a little farewell and hear a little bit more about what's next after our top three takeaways. But for now, let's turn back to that topic of dating. Dating with a chronic condition like arthritis creates its own level of trials, both physical and emotional. That's why our guest experts, sisters Alexa and Jacqueline Child, created Dateability, a dating app that's not your average dating app. Jacqueline has hit her fair share of roadblocks while dating, so she, along with Alexa, created a safe and inclusive space for users with physical, intellectual, and psychiatric disabilities to date. I also welcome another guest to the show, Sadiq Jiwa. Sadiq will provide us with that male perspective on dating with arthritis, and together we'll candidly discuss the highs and the lows and how to make it safe and potentially less painful and everything in between. So welcome to the podcast, Alexa, Jacqueline, and Sadiq. Hi, thank you for having us. Looking forward to it. First of all, I'm not single. So talking about dating with arthritis, I've been married for 15 years, but with my husband longer, I do remember being in the dating scene because I was only 26 when I was diagnosed and thinking how hard it would be for me going forward to even meet anyone. I'd love for each of you to kind of share a little bit about your story. So let's start with you first, Jacqueline. I am 28 and I live in Denver, Colorado. And I have been chronically ill since I was 14. I was first diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos and dysautonomia. And I wasn't diagnosed with arthritis until I was about 20. And I had my first joint replacement at 21. And then once I hit 23, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. What about you, Alexa? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am 32 and I'm the older sister of Jacqueline. I do not have arthritis, but 
Jacqueline has arthritis and I've watched her journey since being diagnosed. And so I consider myself an ally and an advocate. And I've watched her go through all of her dating experiences as a disabled woman. So that is partly why we decided to partner up and create Dateability. Sadiq, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis when I was six years old. I'm currently 26 and a professional golfer training to hopefully one day get onto the PGA Tour. The symptoms of my arthritis started when I was three and then seeing it evolve from what was just one or two joints that were affected to now full-blown systemic JIA. And I'm very thankful for the support team that I've got that are helping me to deal with the condition. Jacqueline. What was it like for you for dating? So I never expected it to be so difficult. I had a very average college experience. And that was when I first got my jaw joint replacement. I never really felt like I had any trouble dating and I felt very included in everything. And it wasn't until I moved to Denver and moved in with my sister that everything just went downhill from there. I really panicked finding the right time to disclose all of my chronic illnesses and limitations to people. And so juggling, do I wait? Do I tell them right away? Was the hardest part, but in the end, it really didn't matter when I told someone. They were always turned off and looked at me like I was unworthy of their love and just really didn't give me the chance to to prove to them that I'm worthy and I'm capable of giving and receiving love. That makes me really sad to hear. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was really hard to be honest about it because, I mean, it is embarrassing to to be rejected over and over again, especially over something that you can't change. I was made to feel that this chronic illness was shameful. And it's taken years of being open and vulnerable, you know, with family and friends and through therapy to realize that it isn't about me. It says a lot more about my prospective partners than it does about me. Exactly. Yeah. I remember that feeling too, after being diagnosed, like, oh, wow, how am I going to tell people? Like, who's going to want to date me knowing that I am going to have something to deal with the rest of my life? Sadiq, is this something similar you faced? I never really dated that much through high school especially with all the sports training and the fact that I did go to an all boys school. And so I didn't really start dating until college came around. And I want to say that I got really lucky. I found somebody who I ended up in a long-term relationship with for almost five years. And I was learning all the nuances of how to disclose the micro and macro aspects of my arthritis. And when that relationship ended, unfortunately, due to just long distance, Re-entering back in the dating world when I was 23, 24, and then into now, I've had some similar experiences to Jacqueline, and it's become quite intimidating and a little bit embarrassing, frankly. The more times I have to disclose my arthritis to a prospective partner, and frankly, the rejections that have come with that or the amount of people that are turned off by it. But then it's really turned around to realizing that it really isn't me. And those people who are turned off by the symptoms or some of the issues that I have with my arthritis may not necessarily be the best long-term potential partners. And so me being able to wrap my head around that concept has helped. Definitely. I was still living in Florida and 
probably two years after diagnosis. And I remember crying and saying, how am I supposed to tell people this? And what do I say? And when when they reject me, what is that going to be like? And it was a guy friend. And he said, you know what? You're an amazing person. And if they reject you, it has nothing to do with you. It's not your diagnosis. It's just who they are. And I've always kind of carried that with me. At what point, Jacqueline, have you found that it was most comfortable for you to disclose and share your arthritis with somebody you might be dating? I've never been confident in disclosing it. I've always felt the pressure of having to tell someone either because it's forced upon me, like they asked me to go on a hike or they asked me how many days I've skied this season. I always feel pressure of having to disclose then or just I feel like I'm hiding a big part of myself. I hope I get to that point where I feel like I can confidently say, this is who I am. And are you ready to go along the ride with me? Jacqueline's made a really key point here, which is finding when that time is to disclose. I've experimented with disclosing on the first date and then not disclosing for, I think it was almost three and a half weeks, both of which backfired on me. And we're still trying to find where that sweet spot is. I realized going in a few days that if I don't disclose that part of me early on, they're going to find out eventually. And I found that I would much rather be in control of disclosing that information than them reading about it. My arthritis makes up a big component of who I am. It's what's led me to be a pro golfer. It's led me to train the way that I do and have specific structured parts of my life. And that's something that I would like to share with a potential partner, but something that I want to have control over disclosing. I err more on the side of disclosing a little bit early. And then as questions arise, if those questions come up and if we continue to date, and then we go along and continue to talk about it together. But I call it the slow burn because it, it really, <laughs> it really is what it is. So I love that. that slow burn. Listen, I've been married a long time. I think it's still a slow burn. We're both learning more <laughs> about my rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, I swear, you know, I'm an OT. I've had arthritis for 20 years and I am always learning something new about my immune system and my condition. And Jacqueline's right. That, that hiking date is tough when you have similar autoimmune conditions and we have to find ways to either get around that or do a little more prep work for that or be able to disclose and say, hey, you know what? That's just not something that we can do. Can we do something else instead? The Arthritis Foundation is always looking for new ways to inform you about the things you want to know more about. Check out our webinars in real time or on demand. Visit arthritis.org slash webinars to learn more. Jacqueline, in these times where maybe you've gone on some dates with somebody and, and you've started to share a little bit and they don't receive it well, how have you handled that rejection? I tend to take a lot of things personally. It's really hard to not take something personally when someone tells you directly. Dating you is, seems way too stressful. Like That is just such an insult. And so Alexa will just be like, goodbye. You don't want them. And, and that's, that's how I get through it. I'm like, you're right. 
that's the last type of person I ever want to be with. But I mean, it still hurts. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sadiq? You never want to hear that from somebody be like, dating you is too stressful. I would turn around and be like, well, dating you has been stressful too. Like this is a, <laughs> this is a two-way street, right? I would take things pretty personally initially, especially as I was re-entering the dating world and disclosing. And I had my best friend who would be like, you know what? Like you need to realize that the people that are not willing to to learn more about you or truly get to know you for who you are are not the people that you want in your corner or who you want to pursue anything further with. I definitely still struggle with that concept when someone tells you, hey, I don't want to date you because you know you have uh, arthritis. And that has happened to me a couple of times very directly. And those still sting a little bit. Yeah, I wish I had a little bit of uh, Alexa's strategy in my corner as well here because I could use a little bit of that. You know what? Goodbye. It's all right. On to what's next. So, Yeah. Yeah. You know what I realized as, as an able-bodied, non-disabled person, I never take my health for granted. I don't have arthritis today, but my sister has arthritis. My father has arthritis. And in 20 years, so could I. So, you know, I think about it from that lens that we really have no idea what's in store for any of us. And it's so short-sighted to just be like, oh, because you have arthritis as somebody in your 20s, I don't want to date you. Most of us are going to age into disability eventually. And so it's just very, yeah, it is short-sighted and silly. Um, and it drives me crazy. Exactly. And, and this is also why I'm such a fan of, of a concept like datability, right? Those who have to overcome adversity and everybody has to overcome their own adversity and overcoming that adversity is what really builds character. When you find somebody and you're with them and, and you share with them what's going on and they go through tough times with you, let's say you end up having a surgery and you're dating somebody and you're in a serious relationship. How they handle that shows you a lot, right? And before my husband and I ever got engaged, I was in the middle of graduate school and had to have surgery on my neck. It scared him. And he was quick to tell me, you know, I was very emotional the day before surgery. No matter what happens, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. And so that's the kind of person you need, right? But getting there, I know, is not easy. You don't truly realize how good you have it with somebody or how truly somebody is in your team. Just like Rebecca, you described with your husband, like how much he was a part of your team. Being able to let your significant other be a part of that team or help out, whether it's the little things of coming to an injection appointment or telling them, hey, I'm feeling like this today, or whether it's good or bad, or it's something bigger. It also helps to build that intangible, deeper bond between the two of you and create that extra level of trust that is so key when it comes to a relationship, just in general, but even especially with chronic conditions like we have. I think that's a really good point. I disguise everything with humor. I downplay it. I not honest. People will ask me questions and I still can't be honest with them. Letting someone in is really important. That's definitely something I want to strive towards is, is being able to be open and just letting those people in. Similar to you, Jacqueline, I love using humor to 
get out of actually being honest with my relationship and how I was feeling, right? The classic, I'm doing fine when I got eight different parts of my body hurting. And I look back in hindsight and I go, you know, I wish I really had said that I got eight different things hurting until it got to a point where there was no way to hide it, right? And you you never, ever want to get to that point. It's honest communication, right? To really be vulnerable and tell really how you're feeling. I'm not one to sugarcoat and (laughs) everybody knows that. It took a while for me to get there, to get to the point where when somebody asked me how I was doing, I said, I feel like crap, you know, versus, oh, I'm okay. You know, I think sarcasm and humor gets, gets us through, right? I think another thing that affects us when we have a chronic illness is our, our self-image and our body image and how we feel about our own body. And so our comfortability level on being able to share what's going on in our lives or with our body with somebody else is a lot. I wonder how internalizing the the physical and emotional aspects of your disease has affected all three of you on your dating. What we talked about a little bit earlier with Jacqueline you know, she and both of us use the term, you know, being embarrassed or a little bit intimidated to disclose our respective conditions to a prospective partner. And you think about where that embarrassment or intimidation comes from. And it comes, at least in my case, it comes from how I think that prospective person is going to view me. And that in turn shows a little bit of my own insecurities about the way I feel about my condition and how it affects my body and the way I am that little bit of acceptance of how I felt about the condition is what then helped me to talk about it with other people and, and just be my own self and personality around those people. And I think it was, like I said, something that took a lot of trial and error where I was just so worried for when I first reentered the dating world about what people were thinking about me and what people would think when I disclosed and how I looked and how I was. And then it, turned into using humor of, hey, I've got zero degrees of internal hip rotation and would try to spin that in in some sort of humorous way. I kind of got to that point where, you know, I accepted that a little bit. It got a little bit easier for me to to go out and date and and meet new people. So yeah, I I relate to that. And even just like the physical changes you experience or like the outward changes you experience with different treatments. And you just look in the mirror and you don't recognize yourself. And that's, that's very hard. I got the moon face and I got, I gained weight very, very quickly and I had no control over that. And it was really hard to go through. Why do I feel so ashamed of gaining 40 pounds? Well, because society tells us that you have to be under a certain weight to be attractive. It can be really hard to deal with like the physical appearance changes. I have scars on pretty much every body part and it's, can be embarrassing to have to show. And I I do think that this self image and, and being insecure about your body for me has changed, especially in the last year, as I had to get a feeding tube for, um, I have pretty severe gastroparesis and I have gone on one date since I've had that feeding tube. And of course that feeding tube had never came up. My chronic illnesses actually never even came up. So that's, it's a new component of of dating for me is, is having to date with this feeding tube as well. Yeah. It must be extremely difficult. 
I was gonna. I, was, I just want to point it out. I mean, even and as we're as we're doing this, and, and as Jacqueline is sharing a lot of her story and and the stuff that she's gone through, and how inspiring all that is as well. What she is saying, what I'm saying about you know that ability to say you know so what I've got a scar on my chest right like own up to it or so what I got no internal hip rotation that is so much easier said than done. We're making it yeah. sound a little bit like oh you know we kind of flipped a, a switch. It's not that easy to do. No, right, and it comes with you know having the I'm going to say this the Alexa factor in your corner right or mm-hmm. in my case a couple of really good friends in the sport team that I've had to just help continue to pump you up and be more comfortable with who you are and what you got to deal with. Yeah, I agree. That support system around you helps you to be stronger. I have a big sister too, who will beat anybody up who's mean to me. So um, still to this day, I want to borrow Alexa for a little bit here. (laughs) (laughs) That's his official role is in our family is like advocate. That's her role. The Arthritis Foundation's Live Yes Connect groups are peer-led, volunteer-run support groups that bring people together for fun and informative events and activities. They offer a place of understanding and encouragement and cover all kinds of topics. Find your tribe at connectgroups.arthritis.org. Well, let's talk about this app that you have created, Jacqueline and Alexa. It's called Datability. Tell us about it. We launched in October. We had worked on the app for a whole year. And it obviously came about because of my experiences. Alexa was like, I just wish there was an app for chronically ill and disabled people. And I was like, me too. And she just said, oh, okay, let's make one. And (laughs) It was a huge undertaking, (laughs) Yeah, but we really want to create this like safe and inclusive platform for people like Sadiq and and myself who can just go on and not feel that anxiety of disclosing your disability or chronic illness. And just having a place where there's, there's people who understand you. And I think that datability can be that place where people find someone just like them. Each profile has a section called Datability Deets, and it's a extensive list of broad terms like immunocompromised, wheelchair user, food allergy, and the user, if they want, it's optional, can select what applies to them or type something in, and it shows up on your profile under your basic information along with your age, you know, where you live, with your pictures, and it's just supposed to neutralize and destigmatize disability. Able-bodied people are able and welcome to join as long as you know they're understanding and compassionate and share the same values. But we want it to be a diverse place, all kinds of disabilities or not disabled. We want everyone to join and just have it be that safe, inclusive space for people to find companionship, whether it's friendship or romantic relationships. It's available um, in the United States and Canada and Mexico. You know, there was one point in my life where I was like, I would never date someone else with a chronic illness. Like this would just be depressing. And I really realized through therapy that that was just internalized ableism talking. And, you know, my therapist hit me with the question like, so then why should anyone date you? And I was like, okay, well, because I'm this, this, this. And she's okay, well... There's a million other people out there like you with a chronic illness. And I was like, bingo, I'm 
absolutely open to dating someone who doesn't have a chronic illness and just has, you know, is compassionate, empathetic, anti-ableist, and has those, um, the, the abilities to, to get through anything and stick with someone through thick and thin. So how has uh, the success of the app been since you launched? It's been great. At week 12, we surpassed 2,000 users and we have yet to pay for marketing or you know done any kind of social media marketing. But right now, it's just been from press and word of mouth. We're very confident that this year and all the years after are going to be great for datability. And we're really going to give the community the app that they deserve. I love it. What a great idea. What have you found that has gotten you through some of those situations? Communicating how you're feeling, both at a micro and macro level. At least with my experience with the arthritis, I will have swings in the way that I'm feeling on a year-to-year, month-to-month, week-to-week, and day-to-day basis. So the way that I'm feeling, especially when you're trying to get intimate with your partner, is going to vary. When you're in some sort of physical pain or mental pain, it's it's tough to get turned on and want to go down that intimacy path. And so I think one of the most important things to do is to communicate, one, how you're feeling, and two, it's not that you don't necessarily want to be intimate with your partner. It's that this is not necessarily the best time where I have this going on. And you know, having your partner hopefully be accepting of that. And then also, frankly, capitalizing on the better days, right? Right. Honest and open communication. And I think like, you know, people's expectations of relationships is that it's always like sexy and hot and steamy all the time. And for any sort of relationship, that's not the case. And just know that it's it's not abnormal to not be in the mood. I think that that's important to be able to find the right words for you to be able to communicate that with somebody that you're with. Do you have any funny, crazy dating stories that any of you want to share? None that are funny. (laughs) (laughs) They're like crazy in a bad way. Oh, the person who told you that you shouldn't have kids. Okay, well, this is like... Oh, what? (laughs) I was speaking to someone on a mainstream dating app and he asked me if I wanted to go on a hike. And I said, actually, I can't. And I had a really good excuse. I had just had knee surgery. And so I was like, um, I, you know, I'm out of commission, but if you want to go sit at a restaurant, we can do that. And he said, well, how'd you injure yourself? And I said, I, I didn't, I actually have a connective tissue disorder. And I left it at that. And he said, well, you better not have any kids. You know, it's very selfish of you to pass down your genetic disease. And I said, what? And then I said, oh, well, I know maybe I'm considering adopting kids. And he said, well, good luck trying to find someone who'll, who will share that vision with you. Wow. That was just like the most blatant form of ableism I'd ever, ever heard someone promoting eugenics within two minutes of talking to someone. It was just, it was nasty. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of things I wish I had said. <laughs> what about you, Sadiq? I will describe one date that I went on where I was on one of the mainstream dating apps and I put that one of my lifelong dreams is to uh, have a major influence or open my own foundation for finding a cure and treating juvenile arthritis. 
And that was what was commented back. And that's what we were initially bonding over. Something that was a completely new concept for me on a mainstream dating app, because a lot of times I don't get the feedback for that. She believed that she was the foremost expert in juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And, um, you know, spent half an hour trying to explain, oh, this is how you should be feeling. And these are what these medications will help and do this. I said, I hope, you know, you manage your personality correctly. And uh, (laughs) that's it. Thanks for coming out. So. I went on a date once and I was talking about Jacqueline and the guy said that fibromyalgia isn't real or something. And we never spoke again. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what I said back, but it probably was not very nice. <laughs> people continue to surprise me all the time. Yeah. The Arthritis Foundation's Walk to Cure Arthritis creates community connections, tools, and resources, and supports life-changing medical research. Rock the walk and say yes to conquering arthritis. Register today at walktocurearthritis.org. We have this listener segment in the podcast where we post a question on social. So we posted on Instagram, what's the hardest part about dating with arthritis? And I got to tell you, (laughs) this is the most comments we've had when we've posed a question to talk about on the podcast. We've had so far 113 comments and man, it's a lot. Somebody wrote, it's actually Effie from Rising Above RA. She said, man, I could write a bad rom-com on my dating experiences. (laughs) And I think that's hysterical. But what a lot of people have said, their biggest fears are just just being different and having somebody accept that you're different or accept that you have something that's lifelong. Most people say everything, everything about dating is difficult when you have a chronic illness or you have arthritis. I mean, I think the hope in finding that partner who will be with you through it all is is what keeps everyone going and and finding that the one who you want to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. In golf and in a lot of professional sports, you are going to have a lot more failures than successes and unfortunately that's sort of been my experiences as well with dating with arthritis, put yourself out there and and be vulnerable with those. And then tie that in with a little bit of hope that Jacqueline was saying. And then hopefully uh, that's the right recipe to finding what you're looking for. And also, you know, places like dateability, which might help a little bit more than the mainstream dating app. So another one that somebody said is trying to act like you're just fine when you're definitely not. Yeah. My advice is that that everyone has their demons, whether they're physical or not. Everyone is going through something and it's just important to keep that in mind. Eventually, you'll find someone who you can open up to them and they'll open up to you. Try not to compare yourself to what the normal is or what the stereotypical image is, because the reality is, is you are unique and you have, you know, these unique characteristics and traits and somebody is going to appreciate those. Somebody wrote, in my early 20s, I was told by a man that I loved, it's not you, it's your arthritis. It destroyed me. She was born with RA, so. I wish I had some more positive advice for this, but it was the reason I barely dated through high school because that, as an initial experience, shattered any confidence that I had 
and any acceptance of my condition, along with the fact that it was changing so rapidly during that time. The real key is the more accepting and comfortable you are with your own conditions at a micro and macro level, the easier it's going to be for you to open up yourself, open up to other people, be vulnerable, and frankly, handle rejection. Everybody listening, you're a good person. You're not your arthritis. You're who you are. And if people can't accept who you are and that you might have this, then that's not the right person for you. This app, Dateability, I think you guys should check it out. So we'd like to end each episode talking about our top three takeaways of our conversation. I'm going to start with you first, Jacqueline. I think it's nice. You know, there's not many people that I can talk to who experience this. I don't think I've talked to any male with a chronic illness about dating. And it's really, I mean, it's bittersweet to know that you also go through that, but it makes me feel less alone. I think, I think bittersweet is the right word. And one of the big takeaway here is, is the support network that you have, the, the people who make that impact physically and emotionally in your lives, family members, siblings, best friends, physiotherapists, right? In my case, I'm the mayor of a little village, right? I've got all these people that are working behind the scenes and know that thankfully they're in my corner and helping. And when it comes to dating and something that is, you know, very, I would say in my case, emotionally troublesome, it's really nice to have and to be able to utilize. The more comfortable you are with who you are and what you're dealing with, and you can share that, then the less impact you'll feel from how other people treat you if they reject you or accept you. I've been through 17 surgeries and my husband's still around. So I think that you find the right person who can be on your support team. Like the Deke says, Jacqueline, you've got, we'll call it the Alexa factor. So thank you, Jacqueline and Alexa. And thank you, Sadiq, for, for joining us in this conversation. To learn more about their stories, you can check out our website. There'll be links in the show notes and more information. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is my final episode as your host of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. This has been one of the best experiences I've had as somebody involved with the Arthritis Foundation, as a patient, as an occupational therapist, connecting with all of you as our listeners in this journey. I can't believe we've produced 73 episodes and launched this in November of 2019. And Tony Williams is here with me, who has a couple times appeared on the podcast. So Tony, do you remember that first day in the studio, we heard your voice and we were like, oh my God, Tony, what, where did this come from? Well, Rebecca, I want to say that you have been such a joy to work with on these podcasts and so many other things at the Arthritis Foundation over the past several years. And when you came to me back then about making this podcast series a reality, I was so excited that you asked me to be involved, contributing to voiceovers, 
helping edit episodes to be listenable links. And you know that I have a special secret formula to figuring that out. Yeah, it's a it's a science. <laughs> Along the way, you have been so open and honest about your own experiences, bearing your heart and soul to connect with those going through similar things that you've had. And as an esteemed coworker, confidant, and good friend, I value everything you've given to me and to so many others. My love goes to you, and it's been an unforgettable journey. So thank you for sharing that with me. Oh, I can't imagine doing it with anybody else, Tony. Your voice is calming and and soothing, but you've been a wonderful listener and friend. And Daniel, I remember walking into your studio in Atlanta because back in the day, pre-COVID, we actually used to go to Atlanta to Daniel's studio to record and thought, oh my God, this is legit. Like this place is amazing. Well, thank you, Rebecca. And you've made it fun for me to where it's not a job. It's not work. I enjoy looking forward to working with you every time we're recording. And I just, um, I'm going to miss you a lot. And I hope the best for you. (laughs) Thank you. Jay Libogela has been working on this podcast for most of its life behind the scenes, but he is one of my work besties. And Bailey Bowman has kind of taken over some of the things that I used to have to do when we first launched. It's the episode producers behind who help us find the experts and write the outlines and the questions and make sure that we have the expert content that we we need to have to share with you. And Brian Vargo and Jill Tyre are essential to the podcast. Well, Rebecca, I try to write questions for you, but you never need them. <laughs> you always <laughs> so well that you just kind of take it off the top of your head and keep the conversation going and make your guests feel comfortable and conversational anyway. (laughs) Thank you. You do such a great job and you make it look so easy and I know it's not, but you're just such a comforting presence and, and that comes across in every episode and you're very special. And yes, we will be hounding you. (laughs) (laughs) I echo that sentiment, Jill. Rebecca, you put the listener and your guests, I think, at ease and lets them know that they're not alone and that that there's someone here for them. Thank you for everything you've done. Rebecca, you've touched so many lives being part of this podcast, and we couldn't have done it without you. I'm just really excited to see how many more lives you touch in the future because you are that type of person that will touch people wherever you go. And I can't wait to hear the stories about the great accomplishments that you make because we all know you're going to make them. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. You came into this as the host with a wealth of knowledge as a patient, as an OT, as an Arthritis Foundation staff, as a donor, as an advocate, as a friend. Like you are the all encompassing host, you have every part that we need. What's one thing that you've learned from doing the podcast about what arthritis patients need and want and how they need to hear that new information? They need a connection. And I've always felt that the podcast is something that would help people not feel so alone. And when I was in my early years of diagnosis, feeling alone 
I hope that this has given those who feel that way that feeling that they're not alone and empowered them with information if they're ready to take it and receive it, to do something with that information. It's trusted information that I think we've been able to share from some of the best experts in the country on how to manage your arthritis. I think it's always been my mission to help other people understand and know that you're not your disease. And while we can't control a lot of things about it, there are things we can ourselves do to control our symptoms, how we perceive our disease, how we perceive ourselves, and try to enjoy life. And so what I've learned really is knowledge is power. It really is. And getting that knowledge starts by connecting with other people. And so I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of you and how grateful I am for having been on this journey and doing this podcast. The Arthritis Foundation changed my life by the people that I met through it. And when I was a volunteer before I ever came on staff, it's all the people I've met along the way who have showed me that I'm not alone and there's so much support out there. And that I will never forget and will always be grateful for. But yes, definitely find a person, find your Alexa. (laughs) And for any listeners who want to follow me on my journey, As I create my next steps, um, you can find me at otrebecca.com or insightwellnessot.com. Our listeners should know that there are some of the best people in the world working behind the scenes to give you content that you need. So thank you. The Live Yes with Arthritis podcast isn't going away. We're still going to be here. We have big shoes to fill, but we're still going to bring you top-notch content with some of the leading experts in the country. We're going to keep aspiring to bring you the content that you need, the content that lets you live a better life, and the content that empowers you to live yes with arthritis. The Live Yes with Arthritis podcast is independently produced by the Arthritis Foundation to help people living with arthritis and chronic pain live their best life. People like you, For a transcript and show notes, go to arthritis.org slash podcast. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch.